Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. Benji Fresh offers Zwift Race, I believe. We'll hear more about that in a second. We've got the Paranese Torino Adriatico doubleheader recap. TTT in Paranese with different rules. It's a 32k flat TT, two corners. Not very technical except for the final is in town. Few curves in the last two kilometers. But the rules, what is it? The first rider sets the time, the best time, or the team's yes. time, but then every other rider sets their own GC time. Is that right? Correct. That's the rule. Back in the day, it was the fourth rider that did so, so that's why in the past in team time trials, you'd see four riders arrive at the finish line together, but this time around, it's a single rider that can decide that team's time, and it doesn't change much for the GC riders, eh? They need to be in the first riders that finish, if not the first rider that finishes, if they only finish with one rider. So that doesn't change much, but I was curious what the, the new intriguing strategies could be that we'd see, because I wasn't expecting all out different things, but maybe the final three kilometers would be uh, played differently, because otherwise, when there's four riders left in usual team time trials, you'd see them just try and stick together. But here, we might see leadouts and so forth. That's what I had in mind, at least going into this team time trial. and. Uh, I'll throw it back to you. What did you think of that new idea going into it? I thought it was good. Well, actually, no, I had no strong view on it beforehand, but then watching <laughs> the race, I thought it was pretty exciting. It added a little bit to it. It definitely, some teams had different strategies depending on the teams they had, their relative strengths. Yumbo Visma came in the very hot favorites. They have, what, multiple world champion Rowan Dennis in the TT, world champion yep. currently in Tobias Foss in the TT, Van Hoydonk. Tratnik, Vingegaard, Affini. Who else? Koi. Sprinters are usually not bad <laughs> in a TTT. Red hot favorites, and they only win by one and a half yeah. seconds ahead of EF Education Easy Post with, don't, you know, I'll say it for him, for enemy of the podcast, a much smaller budget at EF Education Easy Post, nearly snatching this with Magnus Court. Jaco Alula, third, only four seconds behind Jumbo Visma, again with a maybe half or less of the budget. Groparma FDJ fourth. I mean, David Goodwood would be rubbing his hands together. There was a TTT, yeah. not an ITT. <laughs> UAE, though. Well, I'll finish. Stop here. 34-18, only 23 seconds slower than Yumbo, Benji. That's a win for UAE. For certain, that's definitely a great time for them. You actually said yesterday that would be less than the 45 seconds I would have guessed initially but it was better than 45 seconds it's basically half of that so a really good time by uae and also by the teams ahead of that but you're mentioning budget there for a second we've had one team time trial in uae we have another one here we've got another team time trial somewhere in the welta i'm not even sure it's the welta yeah, where the Barcelona, team time trial yeah. is so then i'm questioning if there's only three team time trials in a year which teams actually invest money of that budget in trying to get their teams good at this, because this is not something that happens often, eh? And it's not necessarily in the big goals. I think it's also an effort thing, like who's trained it. I think EF have obviously drilled it pretty well. Yumbo, I know, drill it. And maybe other teams like Trek, who do have some decent firepower, do have a decent budget. They haven't really drilled it. Or Israel, I presume, didn't practice it at all. Um, but it's also the riders you can afford as well. So bigger budget means you can have bigger more powerful riders all things else being equal one would think so and it's also still the 
investment in individual time trial equipment. So EF, yeah. Goel, and ITTs too. That plays a part. Obviously, you need to have a fast setup, but there's also how you approach the TT and all that jazz. So to be honest, Yumbo won, but I've not been overwhelmed by any of their TTs so far this year. Like, I know at yeah. UAE, the team was like Coos and Glogue <laughs> and stuff. It was still worse than I expected. Yeah. Yesterday in Toreno, Kelderman and Roglic were quite a bit... They were behind Almeida. Yep. Like, Roglic, even at 95%, should be the same time as Almeida. So, it's they're not setting the world on fire so far this year with their TTs. There's been some equipment changes, wheels, pedals, cockpit, maybe. I, I don't know about the cockpit. Is it, I'm not a, a tech head. Is it because Yumbo maybe went backwards in that or is it because UE has scored up? Because I feel like UE has made a step forward because Almeida was not doing these time trials last year. Then again, he wasn't doing those time trials either earlier in this year. So he might just be coming better in form. <laughs> I mean, he, he took a wrong turn in the Vuelta last year. I mean, I don't know how much time that cost him. Um, Jayco, what the giant setup is fucking fast. Yeah. What their entire setup, and I think they use the Vortex Silverstone speed suits at Jayco, at least Simon Yates has yeah. one on. They are slippery. And also, I think I'll round out the top 10, and by the way, or a few more other teams. Bore on 34-20 in sixth. Sudar Quickstep ahead of Trek Segafredo. Pedersen loses the jersey. Bahrain loses about 48 seconds. Would Vingegaard in a 32k TT put... He'd put more than 48 into Haig, so I think Haig's got to be happy sort of with that. Ineos, 34-43. Let's stop there, Benji. That is... I mean, I just... They just won the stage, Jumbo. Pretty harsh criticism, being like, I was underwhelmed by it. Um... Ineos is much worse, Benji. Yeah, it's a pretty terrible time compared to what we would have expected. But then again, I was expecting an Eva and Jaco to come out very high on top, but I was expecting Ineos to at least be beating a Trexigafredo or a Bahrain here on paper, a Bora on paper, and especially Sudal Quickstep, who were losing two of their riders already with 27k yeah. to go. Five kilometers in, they were losing they two riders. Yeah, but then again, we saw that same issue with the top teams where Jumbo Visma and UAE team members both at the same time, one minute and 20 seconds into their team time trial roughly there was a corner where the wind kind of changed and at uae groschartner was having trouble actually off the back for a bit had to crawl back and jumbo visma had a less obvious issue but dennis was also having some trouble in that same corner trying to get to the wheel last wheel again so it seems like that corner caught a few teams off guard and especially those two top teams where i noted that that thing but there were also very different strategies between the teams or at least for the majority of the first half, you wouldn't notice much difference, right? It's the second half of the team time trial where teams kind of diverted, no? Yeah, so some teams kept their team together. Like Ineos really kept their team together, like six, seven riders together in the last kilometer just about. Jumbo Visma basically did a sprint lead out. They kept six riders together. Koi dropped off a little bit earlier, maybe after the intermediate time check. And then they did effectively a sprint lead out. What was curious to me was, Benji, it was Afeni, Dennis, Foss yep. did the death pulls before. And it was Tratnik finishing with Vingegaard and Van Hoydonk finishing with Vingegaard. 
I don't know if they were trying to get Van Hoydonk into the jersey because he took bonus seconds, two of them yesterday, and that was why he stayed with Jonas. I, it, otherwise, why is he? Shouldn't he be yeah. spending all his energy to launch Jonas solo? I agree, and if that is the reason, I don't know if that is the reason, but if that is the reason, if they wanted to do that for Nathan Van Hoydonk, it's nice for a team dynamic, but in reality. It's kind of taking away it's, from it's the goal of Pingagar. Yeah. So I would say that that would be a meh idea to have before this team time trial. Now, when it comes to Next that strategy, yeah, Matthews was still there after taking bonus seconds at the previous intermediate. Uh, yesterday with Pogacar winning that intermediate, yeah. he was second. So also bonus seconds there. With Bex, I do understand that they try and get more out of it because Yates might not necessarily be fighting with Jonas and for the victory, but more for the podium, while I don't know, Simon Yates can actually do well in a one-week race. Let's I disagree with it with Jaco as well, to be honest. Yeah. I think Simon okay. Yates is, he won the final stage yeah. last year. He's a yeah. Anything less than the podium GC here for Yates is a massive, like, underperformance. The guy can climb with the best of them in yeah. one week. His problem is consistency. The TT was shit hot. I, it's the same thing. I don't know. Maybe... They've done it. the maths and they want to finish with three or two. UAE didn't, Benji. UAE did the opposite yeah. strategy. Sorry, I cut you off. They launched Pog. Exactly. And I said it earlier, Groschartner was in trouble early on, but then they stayed together for a bit longer. And basically with 10 kilometers to go, they got their sixth rider out of there. So they had five riders left with 10k to go. With 5k to go, roughly four riders left. So they were dropping riders off much quicker than Yumbo Visma. I'll do the comparison in a second. 5k to go, 4 riders left for, for uh, Pogacar's team, then 3k to go, 3 riders left, so that's still 3 kilometers to go. And they're already with Pogacar and 2 other domestiques. 1 kilometer to go, 1.5-ish, roughly, and then we have 2 riders left. So then you've got Bjerg basically doing his death pool ahead of Pogacar. So they, they did their death pools from way earlier than Jumbo Visma did in this. So you would basically see Bjerg doing a massive lead-out for Pogacar, who launches the last, like, 500, 400 meters, maybe a bit longer than that, and just try to sprint it for the last 500 meters. And it was awesome to see. Is it more efficient than Yumbo's strategy, who basically had five riders left with 1.2 kilometers to go, and in the last kilometer started doing that lead out because with 900 meters to go, they had four riders left. Then at 350 meters, Yumbo tried to go with Trotnik past Foss, who had done his lead out. And I felt like Trotnik was kind of getting blocked in the corner yeah, by Foss. Foss closed the door on him. Was accidental, obviously, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it might have relegation. cost half a second Re relegation. Falls out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I agree. I think he should have yeah opened up the inside to to Tratnik. Um, it's it's the horses you have. Maybe UAE strategy like mathematically, right? Jonas is a better ITT rider on a, on a hilly course than Nathan Van Hoydonk. Yeah. But if Van Hoydonk's been able to stay in the wheels or someone like that or a Feeney, they can, they weigh like 20 kilos more than him. They yeah. can pull, we're, we're talking 60 kph here. They, Jonas is not better than them. Whereas Pagacha, he's at a risk of guys slowing him down because he is the, the biggest, got the biggest horsepower in that team. You think that explains the strategy of the last few hundred meters then for Jumbo so. Visma where... Fingergaard couldn't actually get past Trotnik in the yeah. final stretch. I think so. I think Yumbo's is like on paper the most, and Ineos did the same, and Jayco did something similar the most 
maybe no Jaco dropped a couple more off. They spent Sabrero earlier, I think. Yeah. I think that's like mathematically the most efficient one. But if you have a huge ability disparity between your fifth and fourth rider, yeah, like you do, and your best rider like Pog, I mean the the counterpoint to that is Pog, and I think he was guilty of this. Pog was pulling a little bit too sharply, and he should have just been taking longer pulls during the race to allow his teammates to recover more. That's the counterpoint. You need to go through the maths. Not my job. Um, <laughs> but Benji, when you, I mean, when you were Zwift, yes, that was kind of your job. Tell me about this Zwift race, by the way. Speaking of death pulls, well, it was a pretty, uh, pretty big death pull, I can assure you, because uh. This week I'm basically doing uh, my first Zwift stage race. I've done one Zwift race before, a few months ago, and I was like, this morning I stood up and I was like, I see this race on the calendar, six-day stage race, part of the chasing tour, some concept where they kind of emulate the real-life world tour races, but on Zwift. So I'm doing the the chasing d'azur. I think we can all guess what stage race that is trying to emulate. Uh, I'm guessing Paris. But um, when it comes to that race... It starts off at a time trial, so I did my 18.1 kilometer time trial, and I can assure you it was a, a rough job, but I'm definitely not lost, but I don't know my time yet, because there's like multiple time zones where the race is written, so by the end of the day, I should know where I finished in my individual time trial. So I'm very curious, but it was a, a devastating experience, but let's be honest about it, today it was ongoing and it wasn't very interesting, so it was a good decision to jump on Zwift instead. In this Paranese race, we thought Nathan Van Hoyden was going into the leader's jersey. EF got very little camera time. They were down at the intermediate. They were fifth at the intermediate. And first, they beat Yumbo by nine seconds from T1 to the finish. By the way, 32K TT, I'm going to need an additional intermediate time check. One eight yeah. enough. That is fucking hell. Like, you're just screen watching, not knowing how guys are going. I want one at 10K, 20K finish. Thank you. If that if you could make that happen, every kilometer organizers. Every I mean, yeah, that's technically <laughs> feasible. <laughs> Probably increase the cost of the race. Court goes into the leader's jersey, so he and this is the counterpoint, Benji. For EF wearing yellow in Paris for a day is worth something, and the chance of Paulus winning this race overall is not the same as Simon Yates or Jonas Fingergaard. So, Court dropping Paulus and Paulus therefore getting a worse GC time is worth it for Court, and it was the difference. Court yep. going into the leader's jersey by a solitary second because he took four bonus seconds in the sprint yesterday. He takes it. Matthews yep. third on three seconds. Uh, maybe for Jayco it would have been worth. Nah, I, I believe in Yates, GC. And yeah, so Matthews is on three seconds. And I'm just trying to do the... Now where Yo So Jonas is four seconds ahead of Yates. That's dangerous. Uh... For Jonas, because I like I think Yates is really good, and Pagacha is only my math is so bad. Eleven seconds behind Vingegaard. Eleven seconds, Benji. That's bonus territory. That's less than Yamovisma would have wanted, I think, after this team time trial. I think they were hoping at a, a gap of 20, 25 seconds at least after this team time trial, because if you look at tomorrow's parkour, they have like an intermediate sprint with like 10k to go and then 10 bonus seconds on top of the final climb as well. So that 16 seconds that Pogacar can take, if Fingergaard is second, then he's getting, oh God, Marv, six plus four is 10 seconds. So that's six seconds that he's... I think if Fingergaard can stay on second for every single one of these intermediate sprints, which he doesn't so far, 
and he can get second at the finish line between, uh, behind Pogacar tomorrow, then he can stay within enough contention that it will be decided on like the, the big climbing stage and the final stage. But I think they would have hoped for more knowing the intermediate sprints, no? Yeah, but Poggy going to win the final stage. I think so as well. So it's trouble. And I haven't looked at the... Let me have a look at the intermediate quickly for the final stage. That's going to be really tough for them to control, but yeah. it's another sprint. And so... Flat as well. It's a flat-ish sprint, yeah. It does come after the Cote de Pays, so... But even if it's a reduced GC group, Pog going to win that. So Yumbo, it's going to be very tricky for them. Let's talk about tomorrow's stage and we'll talk about maybe some of the strategies they should employ. I would say... Just to round out this TT, the winners would be Davigudu GC. Danny yep. Martinez GC would be not a winner. Uh, Jorgensen, I mean, what was that? 50 seconds behind. Not bad, not terrible. Could have been worse. Um, but Jorgensen's still in the fight. Anyway, he's still on for top 10. Tomorrow's stage, 165k from Saint-Amand-Montrand to La Loge des Gardes. That's French for you. Um it is rolling terrain for the first 110 kilometers, and they do a Cat 3, 2K, 6%, and the Côte de Cheval Rion, 6Ks, 4%. None of these are very terrifying. Then the Côte de Beaulieu, uh, 3K, no, 9Ks, 4%, not very difficult. There's the intermediate sprint on top of that. It has Pogacar's name on it. It's yeah. very similar to the one on stage one. Then a descent, not very difficult before... Uh, Le Luge de Garde, which is 7k, 7%, very regular. The sixth kilometer is 4%. The first four k's are a little bit more difficult, and then the final k is 7%. This is like made in a factory, this stage, for Pogacar. <laughs> if I'm Yumbo, and it's going to be difficult because they're up there on GC... I would... <laughs> that's the problem when you don't... when they're up there on GC, but you got to get Foss and Tratnik in the break. Um, well, when you look at this parkour, it's very difficult to like make the break you want if you're Yumbo. Because if you're Yumbo, you first of all don't want to chase the breakaway through, during the day because you want the break to win. And secondary, you want riders in it so the break potentially wins and keeps that break going yep. for the majority of the stage. But UAE knows that. So UAE will do everything they can with a Trentinello Wellens, I think, early on to try and make sure that the Tratnik and the Foss can't go into that breakaway. So I think the camp is in UAE to control the breakaway phase. If they can achieve that, then a not-so-dangerous breakaway goes, because that's a scenario that UAE wants, and that's a scenario that the Yumbo should try and break. They don't want an easy breakaway to go here, because the break should try and take the bonus seconds. That's the goal of Yumbo. UAE wants that break destroyed by the time the intermediate sprint arrives, right? That's the two scenarios, right? At worst for Yumbo, at worst, they need that break caught after the intermediate sprint. Yeah. Because you can't have Pog taking six plus maybe 10. Uh, and I'm assuming Jonas will, will take bonus seconds at the finish. It's not like we saw him going Camino. The guy has serious punch too. Yeah. But the intermediate sprint is actually more difficult for him where it's, it's so easy that we can see someone like Godon Paulus beating Jonas in that sprint and he takes no seconds. So, yeah, it's going to be because EF don't want Foss and Tratnik in the break either. Why would they? Is there an opportunity for a late attack going into that intermediate sprint? Like with, with 1k to go, 
like Afini style in that stage in the Giro in the past where Nizzolo was there. I don't think Afini can do it because it's it's kind of after an uphill section, not the hardest uphill section, so he might still be there. But I just I just feel like UAE will know that that's possible. Eh? They should see that coming. They should, and I think UAE's team is better than Yumbo's here. Yeah, I think Yumbo have some riders in Terreno that would be more useful for this stage. Dylan Van Bala, Teish Benoit, Attila Volta. And I really, we saw on stage one, Benji, one 500-meter, 12% climb, one Yumbo rider in a group of 30, Jonas yep. Fingergaard. So that doesn't bode well for stage eight. And I guess the, the rationale for that was to bring a stack squad to win the TTT, which they just did, by the way. And but... they've put themselves, they have eliminated Ineos, but Wellens, Oliveira, Novak, Trenton look really good. Start list-wise, they based everything so hard on the team time trial that when it comes and to these stages and crosswinds, but when it comes to these stages, they don't necessarily have the strength then anymore if that team time trial doesn't get the gap that they wanted, which I think hasn't had the gap that they wanted on UAE. So I think they're in a bit of a shitty position like that. I think Pogacar takes both the bonus seconds on the intermediate spin and wins the stage afterwards. I think so. I think the intermediate's too close to the finish, 17Ks at the end of a hill. It's just going to take putting Rui Oliveira on the front. So EF going to control the break because yep. it's important for them to try and show the jersey. The break is going to be at a minute. Oliveira Novak will pace super hard so that they get back before the intermediate. That's how I see it happening. Do you think Magnus Court is crazy enough to fight for the intermediate sprint, knowing that it might benefit Paulus in some shape or form? Then again, Paulus won't ever beat Pogacar in GC, so <laughs> that point doesn't make any sense. If I was caught, I would go for the intermediate sprint. Yeah. I would. And then I would try and hope that the final climb is paced really slow. Yeah. And try hold on. And then go in the break or something tomorrow. That's what I would do. Because, yeah, like EF having yellow is does matter to them. But I agree with yeah. you. I think Pog wins the stage. I don't really see how he doesn't. Um, this sort ideally, of perfect for him. Ideally for Jumbo Visma, EF is in the breakaway with the courts. With court. Yeah. Tomorrow. But he's in yellow. He, that, he's done it before, it's no? It's illegal. <laughs> Van Avermaet has done it before. I think court will try. 100%. I see it happening. He actually should. Because <laughs> yeah. whilst I just said, oh, he can try and hang on the climb, he ain't. He's going to get gapped on the climb when the GC guys on the last K really launch it. It's, if it was 3K 7%, 3K yeah. 6%, it's different. But 7K 7% is too hard with these quality of guys. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting, the final. I think, I think we should be grateful, Benji, because Jonas is going to have to try and drop Pagacha on stage seven, on yeah. the mountain stage. He'll have to, which is good for content, right? Hopefully. All right, that was Paranese. If we've missed anything, let us know. Danny Martinez. Ineos, hopefully he can maybe Ineos go on the break tomorrow because they're behind on GC. I'm not sure, but yeah. Good day for UAE. I mean, good day for a lot of teams. Simon Yates, the dark horse of GC. Maybe he is the danger. I am the danger. Um, yeah. <laughs> Paranese is building, building, and I like the yeah. TTT concept. I think every TTT should be like that. Um, but I think it would be nice to have this specific concept in a team time trial. Like I think Kung said it. 
where there's like a yeah, climb towards the end so that you've got the proper lead out on the climb or for Pogacar. I know oh, that's very tactical. <laughs> yeah. Then what? <laughs> that that's that's where you can see some interesting stuff. The first 5k uh, is uphill. <laughs> yeah. Rig Zabel sprints for KOM points and then Insta drops and he <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the TCT. <laughs> Maybe on um, on a Heilinger. That's Hill in Dutch. Rig Zabel knows We're that. not going back to There's this. There's KOM points on top of them. Uh, okay, that was Paranese. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll move on to Terreno Adriatico now. We had the second stage from Camaiore to Falonica, 210Ks. Bit of an interminable stage. Luckily, we had Paranese to sort of keep us going. There were hills. Yeah. This again, I went on a bit of a rant yesterday. And you know why in Paranese yesterday, Benji, I was a little bit, little bit flat at the start. I realized I'd only had one coffee that day. And so I hadn't had my second coffee. And anyway, my mum got me, she made me a mug. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see this. Um, with the vultures on it. It's a bearded vulture. <laughs> She got it. Anyway, I've gone back to see them. I rolled my ankle on a bit of ice yesterday, but I think my ankles don't break anymore because I rolled it. I thought, I'm fucked. <laughs> I'm done. Vultures circling overhead. But I just got up and my ankle was fine. I'll send, get Luke to put in the photos of the ice sheet. Um, then I'm running. Anyway, I had my second coffee, so I'm feeling a bit perkier today. <laughs> this stage profile at Toronto, 210Ks, was I being naive, Benji, in thinking it could really kick off on the final climb with 10Ks to go? Or did other teams like Intermarche miss out on something today? I think the climbs really weren't that hard, but I do believe that I would have expected at least the teams with versatile sprinters to try and make it hard. Because otherwise, uh, a Binyamin Sofov has no chance of winning this stage against the pure sprinters, in my personal yeah. opinion, at least. So I was expecting something, but I wasn't expecting like crazy action and those pure sprinters might still survive if the action happens so it's a bit of a balance of whether you want to spend your team doing that or whether you want your eggs in the basket of trying to keep your leader at the front by the end so it's kind of a thing where teams have to decide but let's be honest about it it didn't go down we had Christian Beggs basically pacing behind a typical Italian breakaway for the entire day Italian pro team then we had uh Wout Fanat working for Jumbo Visma throughout the stage mainly in the last like 10-ish kilometers so that made clear that Wout van Aert was not going to go for this stage. That was pretty clear by the time he was facing the team at the front. But outside of that, nothing crazy. Eh? Just the teams keeping their riders at the front, going towards sprints. I don't think there were like crazy crashes in this stage and so forth. So we were heading towards the sprint. And one thing I did notice, into the final like 3.7-ish kilometers, Roglic was keeping himself solo towards the front without a teammate around him, oh. going into the last three kilometers. Is that a strategy or what do you think? Well, no, the t team was running before and well, and again, I was like, well, my wish for a crazy stage is not being granted. Um, <laughs> because while well, it was, yeah, just pulling with Dylan Van Bala, obviously keeping Roglic in a pocket, keeping him safe for the, for the finish. And I think he was in reasonable position with three Ks to go, but then he, he kept going. Like it was like 2.4 Ks <laughs> to go and he's 10th wheel. I was like, Primoz. I know it was it was Fred Wright's fault last year, but you know things happen. Let's not tempt fate. 
you know, and mix it up with the sprinters. I was like, just drop back. He eventually did. But yeah, I agree. It was kind of odd. You can see in the front on shot 2.7Ks to go, he's, he's mixing it up. And I'm like, yep. I got that bad feeling. <laughs> I'll let this continues. Uh, Intermarche had good position. We have Jakobsen yep. here, Gaviria, Cavendish with Siri. It's the big, uh, the big bear. Else, Philipson. I'm trying uh, to think. Sagan. Sagan's always in the mix in technical Torino finishes. Yeah, I actually forgot everybody else that was sprinting here. Gaviria's <laughs> here. Did you say that already? I said Gaviria. Bauhaus. I can't. How can we forget Bauhaus? Jordi Mills. Um. Sean Quinn, sort of. It's it's a pretty good Buani back is, from injury. Is Grunewain here? Because otherwise, why he is, is Beck spacing the entire stage? Eh? He is. But the course had a hill in it, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, how many, how many World Tour stages have we seen them pace all yeah. day? If we added up the hours in the last two years, <laughs> when, and then there's a hill in it, and then Grunewain done come top 10. And then he did... <laughs> Like the poor, but poor. Mar that's why Michael Hepburn's so good in the TT, mate. Because Hilly stage, he's used to doing 10k <laughs> pools, <laughs> trying to chase the break for Matthews or Gronenwegen. That's his life. Oh. Um. Anyway, it was it turned into a pure bunch sprint. There were no yeah. great leadouts here. Uh, Wout Van Aert decided not to contest, which is like again. CI obviously I'm five years old, twelve years old, Benji. But didn't this used to be normal that riders wouldn't be in top condition at every single race they did? And now I'm like, how fucking dare you turn up <laughs> to this race and use it to get into better shape? I want to see Alaphilippe Wavenart launching it on the climb every stage because Pagacha does it. Like, isn't it actually totally normal what he's doing? Well, Froome did it back in the day every single year. He was only good at the Tour de France. He was sometimes good at Tireno and, and the Dauphiné, but mainly at the Tour de France. Vincenzo Nibali is the god of peaking at the right time, the third week of every Grand Tour that he went to, because throughout the rest of the year, he was basically invisible. Sometimes <laughs> at Tireno, he was good. As a Nibali fan, that's oh, special in my heart. But it was usual that riders were peaking in one part of the season. It's unusual that they're going for the entire season. But Wout van Aert is the one where we're used to the fact that he can do it for most of the season. So that's why we're kind of like, oh, it's weird not seeing him content for it. Do you think it's related to the fact that he's not in that form yet? Or do you think it's kind of um, putting all the eggs in the basket of his main goals, like last year with the road race and ITT championships, where he skipped the ITT for the road race, and maybe he's doing that again, but that might lead to a lot of pressure on one event? I think I agree. It's risky, right? Because if you don't succeed, and listen, like, you're putting all your eggs into a basket of a highly variable event where one yeah. puncture out of your control, even if you are the best rider, can ruin your race. Um, that being said, he's going to do other races after this. He's got San Remo in yeah. Saturday week. So, like, Vanderpool went and did Settimana last year to tune up for San Remo. And, like, I understand it. Not wanting to, you know, mix up in what is a, a very, getting to the sprint now, a pretty sketchy sprint because people are relatively yep. fresh. There are a ton of sprinters here. We see Sirietza moving up Cavendish. At least they were connected. Cavendish, Benji, seemed to me he just decided to switch off Sirietza and then Sirietza went the other direction and made a cab made the right choice, I think, moving off his wheel. We have Jakobsen with Bert as a lead out. So 
Intermarche had the most control, but there was literally no final lead-up, man. No yep. one punched through. And that's why Gaviri was able to launch. It was really intriguing because it was because much of Underpool went slightly early, I would say. He let out with 500 meters to go. And as a consequence, Van Lerberg hadn't launched yet. He was kind of sitting on the, on the left side waiting for stuff to happen. And Van Lerberger pushes through, but at the same time, Gaviria already basically goes with 300 meters to go. Like, Gaviria, why every single time in every sprint does he have to do a reverse lead out? <laughs> I think it's a confidence thing. I think he doesn't believe he can win if he waits until other sprinters launch as well. Gaviria is the best sprinter here. If he's on quick step, he wins this easily. <laughs> Jakobsen, it's equipment. There's a difference, I think. Like, Gaviria, is, and that's the thing, like, Oh, I see Gaviria and I'm like, holy fuck, 300 meters in the wind, guys coming up in the draft and Jakobsen gets into Philipson's draft, Philipson is hunting Gaviria's draft and I'm like, wow, if you get this guy with a train, like on his quick step days, Gaviria's got the positioning, I still think he's got it, you know, better equipment. Um, I don't know why everybody's texting me today, I'm very popular. But then the danger is, Benji, you get UAE Gaviria again. So it's like a catch-22. Yep. He only performs when he's on a one-year low contract to prove he's good, but then I'm, you're worried if I give him three years, whatever, is he going to be UAE Gaviria again? Or is it actually that no one sprints well at UAE except Polk? I think that's definitely a fact that we see at UAE where the sprinters are not necessarily performing at their best level. I think there were like some stories about Christoph back in the day when it comes to, wasn't there like a, a year with UAE where they not, didn't perform that well with Christoph and they blamed the drinks or something? No, so they gained six kilos or something during the Tour de France because I think they gave, they kept giving too much creatine. I think it was creatine in the sports drinks. It makes, makes you retain water and a whole weight oh. and they stuffed that up. The sports drink was blamed. That was like Dan Martin UAE year, I think. Um, but anyway, Gaviria launches super early. Philipson slips onto his wheel. We think, holy shit, is Gaviria going to get 100 meters? It looked like the longest 100 meters I've ever seen. I thought 100 <laughs> meters he'd won. Philipson comes out of Gaviria's wheel, but then it's Jakobsen who has that. Jakobsen has that real, and this is what we're talking about with Koi Benji. When Jakobsen does come out of the wheel, when he's on, of course, when he's, yeah. he's um, not dropped his chain, in like five seven hard pedal strokes he can go from behind you to level like yep. that acceleration and he wins this in very impressive fashion the timing was perfect kind of played out perfectly for him um compared to being in the draft of philipson who had to chase gaviria philipson second gaviria third binium was like intermarche presented early but then couldn't really put him in a good position in the final 500 meters fourth milano fifth Bauhaus sixth grunovec seventh consoni eighth magus ninth buani tenth uh cav kind of got held out of a wheel by sagan with i don't know 800 meters to go and didn't contest jakobsen silencing the haters benji where's the where's the shh? <laughs> i realize people can't see on a podcast me doing shush but i guess where's the shh? <laughs> I think it's actually a good thing that he's winning, in my opinion, because I was kind of having the feeling that he might not be in the form necessarily at this moment, because at San Juan he didn't have a victory, but after that, his sprints were not the most competitive anymore, and now that he wins at, let's just be honest about it, pretty much the highest level when it comes to sprints in Treno Adriatico here, I think that means that we're less doubtful when it comes to Jakobsen, but then the question is, what was the issue 
of the previous sprints was it lead out related because he's had multiple combinations with lead outs this year with Merku von Lederberger today so there's been some mix-ups there is it because he isn't sure which lead out can get him to the better the best result at the moment this is because the trust between Merku and Jakobs in every sprint isn't 100% where he stays on the wheel I don't know maybe there's something there I don't know but it's good that he's showing strength and that he's uh silencing the haters as you say shushing everybody because <laughs> my is winning in Paris and if Merlier's winning, then Jakobsen needs to win to prove himself to make sure that Lefebvre doesn't say, Merlier, you can go to the Tour de France, no? Isn't this what Lefebvre has been doing for decades? Yeah. Like, you get sprinters, you make them kind of question themselves, they have to perform to go to the Tour de France, and it, rightly or wrongly, maybe it's coincidence, seems to lift their, their level up a bit. You can't, you cannot go... As a quick step sprinter, you can't go two consecutive races and not win. Didn't one of Viviani and Gaviria back in the day piss in each other's bag? Uh, allegedly, uh, apparently, yeah. So it was like <laughs> I can't remember who Viviani's lead out man was. It was like does the Rachesa Gaviria camp, and then there was a, the Viviani camp, and yeah, it was like Sabatini out of control. I think Sabatini was the lead out for Viviani yeah. at quick yeah. step. I think so, so. Yeah, they were fighting. That's. It's always like that when it comes to quick step, and I think that's one of the reasons that they always go for the dual sprinter strategy. But if you're building a Tour de France team, you're kind of working against the money for that Tour de France team. So that's where kind of the thing comes from of like, ooh, was Merlier a good transfer? Because you're taking away the money for a Tour de France team. But I don't know. I don't care anymore. I'm just watching the cycling and cups and I'm happy for the guy because now we've got a competition between the two at quick step. Ghana keeps the GC lead because of his huge TT on stage one. Tomorrow in Torreno we have... Mm, I'm not <laughs> sure this will be very good. 217 <laughs> kilometers from Folonica to Foligno. They are traversing west to east, going into the middle of Italy uh, on the way to the east coast. They have a series of climbs in the first two-thirds in the race. All of them are... There's, there's two that are reasonably... No, for three of reasonable length, 5Ks, 5%, 12Ks, 4%, 5Ks, 4.5%. They're all in the first 100Ks. And then the last, mm, God, this is a long stage, 80, 60Ks, doesn't really have too much climbing that'll terrify anybody. Of course, a decent-sized break could go uh, with, is Quinn Simmons here? Yes, Simmons got to be is. in the break. So Simmons should be in the break. Or did he okay well again? I mean, this reminds <laughs> you of those welter stages that he was in with Court, but Court's not here. I think, like, Lechnerson is going to go for GC, Benji. So he's too close yeah. on GC. He's too much of a threat on GC. He ain't going to do sprint. well that well on GC. You think sprint? I'm too I hopeful. think it's a sprint. It's a long stage, so it's a lot to control, but I still believe it's going to be a sprint because there's so many teams... Let's be honest about it. Ten teams, yeah. Green Edge will pace. A bike exchange? No. <laughs> Jayco will pace. Jesus. <laughs> Green Alula Edge. Erasure, mate. <laughs> so, um, Jayco's going to pace for Hunwehin. We've got Quickstep, who's going to pace for Jakobsen here. Philipsen. The climbs are not high, 4%. So, Jakobsen should on paper get over it. Philipsen should definitely go over it. And he's the guy that I'm going to point at for this stage, because today he was actually pretty damn good. And he only just didn't have it in the final, because he got... Uh, he, let's be honest about it. Philipson at the Tour de France last year, that level might have won today's stage. 
but he's definitely on the level to compete for these stages with Jakobsen and so forth. So I'm saying Philipsen wins this stage. I think so. I think this is a Jakobsen mechanical stage. Um, I'll have to look how technical this TT, or how technical it is. The finish, the more technical it is, kind of suits Philipsen actually, but also brings someone like Phil Bauhaus into play who loves a technical finish. I, I share your skepticism for a really tight battle with the break Benji. I hope there would be, but I think this is where the different, I mean, if it was in the Tour de France, I think you have a rider, riders of a good caliber or yeah. where they're like, it is worth me going all in second. I got to go every pod with the voice crack at the moment. It's worth every going all in for 217 kilometers. I think some guys are like, Torino, stage three, am I going to go on the break for five hours to get caught by X in the last 10Ks? And you say, oh, what in the Vuelta people do? It's like, well, actually, the Vuelta is the last chance to win the World Tour stage for a lot of guys. So it's the last chance to lose. So there is that desperation. Um, Yeah, I think... uh, Hopefully we see Mads Schmidt if he's on the start list uh, in the breakaway, but I am skeptical that we will. Uh, yeah. Oh, well. Philipson it is winning the stage. Maybe Intermarche. I still think Intermarche should pace harder on the climbs to put some kilojoules into Jakobsen and Groenewegen. <laughs> Not to drop them. Yeah. I don't think it will matter. <laughs> Benji's like, Can, why are you talking about this state? We're going to have YOLO, Bardiani, and Korotek, one each in the break, and then we'll see you with I'm falling asleep just thinking about this day. I'm <laughs> definitely going to be on Zwift again during this it's ride. Torino washed again. It is washed again. Until stage four. Because <laughs> if we go into the stage fours and stage fives, they're good. I got to yeah. tell you already, stage six of this race is going to be one of the best stages of the year. It's a cracker. Hopefully, Pidcock goes crazy. I hope so. Like, it launches early. I can't wait for that one. Castel Fidardo 2.0? Depends on the weather conditions, hopefully, um, for the spectators. Anyway, yeah. that's Torreno recap. Thanks to Zwift as always, and thanks for you guys for listening. We'll see you with Parony Stage 4, Torreno Stage 3 recaps tomorrow. Ciao.